Good morning and welcome to each one of you. <clears throat> I'm going to be speaking this morning from the book of 2 Kings. I'm going to be continuing on. We're picking up where I'd left off the, the last time I preached. You know, the book of 1 and 2 Kings, they were originally one book, but they're, those books were written, it traces Israel's history, and in 2 Kings it's tracing the divided kingdom of Israel and Judah, tracing their history, it's also tracing, it's a written record of God's faithfulness to His people. God's faithfulness to, in His covenant relationship with them, and unfortunately, it also traces how it shows how they were not faithful to God. And ultimately, that resulted in their captivity, going into captivity. <clears throat> I think First and Second Kings are written so that future generations can see, look back and see God's faithfulness. I think it's also written for us so we can look back and see how God is faithful. And He will be faithful in our lives today as well. I'm turning to uh, 2 Kings chapter 6. Earlier in this chapter, uh, we saw how God had provided for the Israelites by giving their enemies, the Syrians, to them. Uh, the enemy had come and surrounded the town where Elisha was. They wanted, in, in Dothan, they wanted to capture Elisha. Because he's telling the king what the Syrian king says in his bedroom. And he had no secrets. And so they come and surround it and the city. And remember, Elisha's servant gets up and he says, Oh no, we're surrounded. What are we going to do? And Elisha asks God to open the servant's eyes so that he can see. And he sees chariots of, horses and chariots of fire surrounding them. They are surrounded by God's army, and there's much more of them. He then asks God to blind the eyes of the enemy, and he leads them right into Israel's capital, Samaria. And Israel's king is excited. Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? He's ready. He knows what to do with them. And Elisha says, no, don't kill them. Feed them and send them home. Send them back to their master. Returning good for evil. And we're told in verse 23 of chapter 6, so the, Syrian, so the bands of Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. We don't know how long, how much time passes between uh, verse 23 and verse 24. But apparently, there's a number of years in between there. And in spite of in spite of seeing God provide for them in this miraculous way, King Jehoram and the nation of Israel did not turn back to God from idol worship. Rather, they continued on in rejecting God, worshiping idols. And so God, in His mercy, allowed a more severe situation to come to draw, to, to draw them to Himself, to get their attention. And that's where we pick up in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24. Plan to look, start at 24 and read through chapter 7. 
And it happened after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria. Indeed, they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and one-fourth of a cab of dove, dove droppings for five shekels of silver. Then as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, saying, Help, my lord the king. And he said, If the Lord does not help you, where can I find help for you? From the fresh threshing floor or from the wine press? Then the king said to her, What is troubling you? And she answered, This woman said to me, Give me your son, that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, Give your son, that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. Now it happened, when the king heard the words of the woman, that he tore his clothes. And as he passed by on the wall, the people looked, and there underneath he had sackcloth on his body. Then he said, God do, to, God do so to me and more also, if the head of Elisha the son of Shaphat remains on him today. But Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. And the Lord sent a man ahead of him. But before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, Do you see how this son of a murderer has sent someone to take away my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold him fast at the door. Is not the sound of the master's feet behind him? And while he was still talking with them, there was the messenger coming down to him. And, <clears throat> and then the king said, Surely this calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Then Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time a seah of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord would make the windows... I'm sorry, let me start that over. Look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? And he said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. If we sit here, we shall die here also. Now therefore come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. If they kill us, we shall only die. And they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank and carried from it silver and gold and clothing and went also and, hid, and, went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also, and went and hid it. Then they said to one another, We are not doing right. This is a day of good news. If we remain silent, I'm sorry, this is a day of good news, and we remain silent. If we wait until morning light, 
Some punishment will come upon us. Now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they went and called the gatekeepers of the city and told them, saying, We went to the Syrian camp, and surprisingly, no one was there, not a human sound, only horses and donkeys tied and tents intact. And the gatekeepers called out, and they told it to the king's household inside. So the king arose in the night and said to his servants, Let me now tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry. And therefore they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, When they come out of the city, we will catch them alive and get into the city. And one of his servants answered and said, Please let several men take five of the remaining horses which are left in the city. Look, they may either become like all the multitude of Israel that are left in it, or indeed, I say, they may become like all the multitude of Israel left from those who are consumed. So let, let us send them and see. Therefore they took two chariots with horses, and the king sent them in the direction of the Syrian army, saying, Go and see. And they went after them to the Jordan, and indeed... All the road was full of garments and weapons, which the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. So the messengers returned and told the king. Then the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians. So a sea of, of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two seas of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now the king had appointed the officer on whose hand he had leaned to have charge of the gate. But the people trampled him in the gate, and he died, just as the man of God had said to him, who spoke when the king came down to him. So it happened, just as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, Two seas of barley for a shekel and a sea of fine flour for a shekel shall be sold tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. Then the officer had answered the man of God and said, Now look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he had said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And so it happened to him, for the people trampled him in the gate, and he died. <clears throat> Some historians believe this passage begins toward the end of a seven-year famine. So imagine... Seven years of famine, and then you have a city besieged for I don't know how long. But this famine is so severe that a donkey's head, a donkey is an unclean animal to the Jews. They, they would not normally eat this, and that a donkey's head, the worst part of the animal with very little meat, is sold for a crazy price. Um, you know, if I, I read this, the... The 80 shekels, I believe it was, doesn't, that doesn't tell me much. But in today's U.S. dollars, that's, we're looking at about $466. Can you imagine paying $466 for the head of a donkey? <laughs> that's far out. That's crazy. But that's what people would come to. They were desperate for anything. To eat. And then you have a, a quarter cab of dove droppings. Let me go back. That was 
in verse 25, a fourth of a cab of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. So a quarter of a cab, that's a little less than one cup. That tiny little bit, if you can picture a cup measure, you've all got one in your house probably, and a little less than that for over $27. It's, <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> but that, that is the situation they were facing. They were desperate for anything, trying to stay alive. And then you have the, the horrible situation in verse 29 that I can't imagine, but where um, these ladies boiled one lady's son and ate him. The agreement was the next day they boil the other lady's son and eat him. You know, God had warned them that this would happen if they disobeyed him. I'm going to turn quickly back to Leviticus. I'm not going to read through this, but in Leviticus chapter 26, God had laid out very clearly the steps he would take to get their attention. He told them what would happen if they did not honor him, if they didn't obey him then here's what will happen. And actually, at the start of chapter 26 in Leviticus, it's very interesting. If you look at this this afternoon, he lays out the basic requirements in the first two verses. And it's pretty simple. You're not to have any idols because I am the Lord your God and you are to keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Sounds pretty simple. But then... He goes on and says, here's what's going to happen. If you obey, your enemies will run from you. And you will, basically, he goes on to describe, they're going, he's going to take care of them, and here's the good things that will happen. Then he lists, what will, but if you do not obey, and he lists what will happen. And I find it interesting that it's step by step. He says, first, uh, he's going to send wasting disease, and, and if that doesn't get their attention... Then their enemies come, and I'm, I'm not going to read through here, but there are, there are definite steps that if each thing doesn't, each one of these doesn't get their attention, then he would, if they resisted him and ignored him, there would be more drastic measures. And it was really, it's the mercy of God calling to them to, to recognize that he was really what they needed. You know, idol worship led the Israelites to cannibalism. I can't imagine. I have plenty to eat, but I can't imagine a father or mother wanting to eat their child. It's, it's against nature. It's against, you know, God's designed us so that we would gladly give our life for our child. However, Sin will always take me farther than I ever imagined it would. I'd like to notice the people in this story, because I think we can learn from the people in this, in this story in 2 Kings. First, I'd like to notice the king. In, in verses 26 and 27, 
It's where we first see the king. And in the middle of this desperate situation, the woman calls out to him for help. And when he tears his robes, uh, the people realize he's, the king's wearing sackcloth. He's, it's a symbol of repentance, what he's wearing underneath his robe. I think his repentance must have been pretty shallow because if you, if you look, the next thing he does is blame God for the situation and he vows to kill Elisha, God's prophet, before the day ends. So was he, was he repenting? I don't think so. You know, maybe... Maybe he blamed Elisha for not allowing him to kill the Syrian army earlier. When he was begging to kill them, he was eager to kill them. And Elisha said, no. Feed them, give them something to drink, send them home. And he's probably, if I were the king, I'd be thinking back to that and going, what were you doing? There was my opportunity. Now look, they've got, they came back in a couple years. They've got us surrounded. And he's blaming Elisha, and ultimately, he's blaming God. But what was God trying to tell him? God brought those, had brought that, that army right into his capital. God was demonstrating he could handle the king's enemies. The king thought it was all up to him, apparently. So maybe he blamed Elisha for not allowing him to kill them. You know, back when that had happened, the king's Respect for Elisha was evident in that he addressed Elisha as my father, a term of respect. And like he was, he was speaking to his superior. At that point, I don't think the king could have imagined that someday he would send someone to cut off Elisha's head. But he did. Sin will always take me further than I ever imagined that it would. You know, the real problem with the king was the king and the nation's lack of repentance. It was the king and his family who had brought in Baal worship. It was the king who continued the worship of Baal. And the nation followed him. But who did the king blame? He didn't say, this is my fault. God told us what would happen if we didn't follow him. No. Instead, he blames God. And he wants to kill Elisha. It's far too easy for us to blame our problems on someone else. You know, he planned to Rather than admit his guilt, he blamed Elisha and he sent someone to kill him. But God still had work for Elisha to do, so he revealed to Elisha what was, what was going to happen. And while Elisha's telling the elders about it, sure enough, the executioner shows up. And fortunately, just like God revealed to Elisha, the king hurries after the executioner. They barred the door. The king hurries after him and says, no, no, don't do it after all. Was that, did the king change? Did his heart change? I don't know. Maybe. 
he at least decided not to kill him. I'm going to jump down to uh, verse 33 of chapter 6, the end of chapter 6. The king says, the first thing we have recorded that the king says when he comes to Elisha's house is surely this calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Maybe because it's from him. <laughs> but he said, why should I wait for the Lord? Why, why should I wait? Do you ever feel like that? Why wait? Some of you know that we have a we have a little Jack Russell Terrier at our house. Her name is Julia. And I want to tell you about her just a little bit. We want Julia to be voice sensitive. We want to train her. I've trained, uh, let me back up and say, I've trained a number of, of Jack Russells over the years. Um, I'm partial toward this breed. And I, I've trained a number of them over the years. They're very intelligent. They're fun to work with. But this one was really tough. It is really tough, I should say, is really tough to train because we're still working on her. Uh, and she's tough to train because Julia is pretty convinced that she's the boss. She's learning that she's not. But it's really hard to train someone who doesn't want to be trained, someone who wants to tell you what to do. We want her to be voice sensitive for her own protection so she doesn't go on the road or other things, and so that she will be useful. Micah dreams of someday um, hunting rabbits with her. Well, in order to do that, she's going to have to be voice sensitive. And when she hears the voice, she obeys. That's coming, but it, it's, it's been a challenge. So I've been working on Julia to train her to wait. And wait has been a tough one for her. I'll get a piece of meat and uh, call her over, have her sit. She knows how to do that, so she'll run right over and sit down and take the meat, tell her, wait, and we'll set it down on the floor in front of her. Well, the first time I did that, as soon as she saw my hand leave the meat, she dove in and just gobbled it down while she's rolling her eyes to check to see if I'm coming to get it. It was gone. I tried again, and she did it again. Well, I let her know I wasn't happy with her. And uh, I told her, no, and so I bring it back, or now, wait. Well, now, what she usually does now is bring her over, tell her to sit, say, Julia, we're going to wait. And as soon as they say wait, she lays down. Because she can hardly, I didn't ever make her lay down when I say wait, but I think she does it to try to control herself. She just can't stand. Here's that piece of meat she, or treat, whatever it is. She wants it so bad, but she'll lay down to help herself wait. I'll lay it there, and sometimes I like to test her a bit, and I'll walk away and turn my back and just kind of mess around, or, or I'll go over and pick it up again, and I'll smell it, act like I'm going to eat it. The first time I did that, she got really worried, and she ran over and bumped my leg like, please, I'm here. But she's doing better, and now she'll wait until I say, okay. Then she goes and eats it. <clears throat> no, waiting is hard. Julia has no idea why I want her to wait. She knows what she's supposed to do, but she doesn't know why. 
and she can't see how she benefits from waiting. I can't explain the benefits of learning to wait to Julia beyond the treat that I set in front of her. You and I are different. In His Word, God has explained some of the benefits of waiting so that we will look to Him in faith. Because you and I can understand that. And we can plan for the future. We can understand some benefits we have to wait for. Let me give you just a few of the benefits in God's Word for waiting. Isaiah 64, 4, I'm not going to read the whole verse, it says that God acts for the one who waits for Him. Hosea chapter 12 and verse 6, So you, by the help of your God, return, observe mercy and justice, and wait on your God continually. We're to wait in an ongoing way. In Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 25 and 26, the Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Isaiah 40, familiar verses. Spiritual renewal is promised here. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. One more, and that's in First uh, Thessalonians 1, verses 9 and 10. Paul is talking about what the Thessalonians were like. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Christians are those who are waiting in anticipation of Jesus' return. Is waiting on God synonymous with trusting God? I'll leave that with you. <clears throat> so the king said, why should I wait? Next I want to notice the, the officer of the king one the king leaned on. And in, in uh, chapter 7 and verse 2, Elisha prophesies in, chap in verse 1, Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time, and he goes on to say there's going to be plentiful food at an affordable price, in the gate of Samaria. The officer responded and said, Look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? 
The officer's retort showed his utter disbelief that God could or would do this. He didn't believe it. And we see the results down in verses 17 and verse 20. It's repeated what happened, that the people trampled him in the gate and that it happened just like God had promised through Elisha that, that he would see, because of unbelief, he would see what God does. He would see God's provision with his eyes, but it wouldn't, he wouldn't benefit from it. I think Israel's historian wanted to make sure that you and I can see the outcome of unbelief because we have it three times in this passage. Verse 2, 17, and 20. I want to turn briefly to uh, Hebrews chapter 3. The book of Hebrews quotes more of the Old Testament than probably any other in the New Testament. It shows just how connected they are. <clears throat> in Hebrews chapter 3, I'm going to pick up in verse 12 and read through chapter 4, verse 2, thinking about unbelief. Beware, brethren, lest any of you... Let me start over. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not those who sinned? whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter because of unbelief. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith, in those who heard it. Stop there. <clears throat> you know, the author of Hebrews is writing to Christians. He's right. He addresses them as brethren. It is possible, as Wayne reminded us last Sunday, to turn away from God. It is possible to lose our salvation. You know, often... Turning away from God happens in, quote, small steps. It's a little thing. It doesn't matter. It's something small. And we turn a little. You know, when I'm, I mow lawns for a living, when I'm mowing, if I'm doing, a, especially on a larger area, and I want to, if I want to mow straight lines, I pick something at the end of the lawn and line it up with something way out in the distance. And I line those two up and run straight for them. And I don't want to be distracted. But I had a hawk fly over my head once, fairly low. It's a nice big one. It came across right in front of me. Right, and I did this. And what do you think happened to my lines? I, 
I wander off in the direction that I'm looking. I didn't track straight. Lost my focus. Turning away from God often happens in small steps. But those are very important. And I can be distracted and turn and a little bit at a time and pretty soon it makes a big difference in the outcome of my life. We need to be alert because Satan wants to deceive us. And that's what I hear in this passage in Hebrews, that we have to be alert and be careful. Because I can think I would never stumble into unbelief. But I would suggest that if I think I never would do that, I'm in a dangerous place. Because it's possible. You know, this officer that had scoffed at God's ability to do what he promised, he, he scoffed and he didn't personally experience God's provision because of his unbelief. Next, I'd like to just briefly think about the, the elders. Did you catch their elders mentioned in this passage? I read through it the first time and didn't even notice it, but in verse 32 of chapter 6, Right after the king says that he's going to take Elisha's head off today, 32 says, But Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. Who are these elders? Probably the elders of the city. And they're sitting with Elisha, which I think is important. Apparently, the passage doesn't clearly state this, but apparently... These elders were still seeking the Lord. I say that because these elders had options. The king had the nation worshiping Baal. They could have been in the temple of Baal looking for help in this desperate situation they were in. But they weren't in the temple of Baal. They were in Elisha's house, known as the man of God. They were sitting with the man of God. I think there were still people who were seeking God. Even if it's a minority, there are always people who are seeking God. Jeremiah 29, verses 13 and 14, first part of 14 say, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. The elders were apparently seeking the Lord. Last group of people I'd like to notice is the lepers. <clears throat> Excuse me. In verses 3 to 5 of uh, chapter 7, you have the four leprous men sitting at the entrance of the gate. These men, God used four lepers, men with physical limitations. They're outcasts, they're quarantined outside the city walls. Can't be with other people. If other people get close, they had to, by law, call out, unclean, unclean, and people stayed away. They were afraid they had something contagious that would be passed on. This was a disease that disfigured you horribly. And 
you would lose fingers and toes. And these were disabled people. They had physical limitations. But God, instead of sending the good news of what God had done to the king directly, the king who asked why he should wait on God, isn't it interesting that God sent this message through these people with physical limitations, these weak, diseased people, brought the good news of what God had done. And they took it eventually to the gatekeeper who took, went to the palace. I want to say our physical limitations don't keep God from providing opportunities to share the good news of God's provision of salvation through Jesus. You think you can't share the good news, but God can do it through you. And God can give you opportunities. Have you asked God to give you opportunities? What would happen if we, as a church, just start asking God each day, would you give us opportunities today? Would you give me opportunities and to talk to people about you, your provision through Jesus? I believe God will give us those opportunities. Who knows what will happen? God is not limited by my limitations. So God's provision, God provided <clears throat> in uh, verse 6 of chapter 7, we're told how God provided. It was a miracle of hearing. It says, The Lord caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses, the noise of a great army, and they panicked and ran for their lives. Was there actually an army? No, but they heard one. God made them hear it. I, I'm not here to explain how he did it because I have no idea how he did it. Was there an actual sound or was it in their head? I don't know what happened. But God did it. And it was a miracle. They heard, and what they heard was terrible because they left everything. I mean, get this. These people ran right by their horses. I'm told that I'm told the way they always formed their camps was the, the horses and mules were around the perimeter. And then you had the, the tents inside that and the kings in the center. Well, so they ran. They're so desperate to get out of there, they didn't stop and take the horses and mules. They just ran for their lives. And they're throwing, they're discarding equipment and clothes as they go so they can run better. This isn't just a little run. It's not a couple hundred yards or a mile. I mean, this is the kind of run Walter does. They went uh, from... They, they followed them as far as the Jordan River. The Jordan River was about 25 miles away. So imagine, just picture, when, when I was growing up, I lived in Fairfax, and we drove out here to this building for school. And it was about exactly 25 miles. So picture clothing and equipment, weapons, strewn in the road. The passage here says it was full. The road was full of, where is it? <laughs> I can't see the verse. Anyway, the road was full of the stuff they discarded. A 25-mile stretch of clothing and other things. Talk about panic. 
So the Syrian camp was completely deserted. What was left was horses, mules, tents, abundant food, silver and gold. God had miraculously provided more than they needed. God provided more than they needed. And the king doesn't even consider, when he finds out, he doesn't even consider that this could be God fulfilling Elisha's prophecy. Instead, he's suspicious and fearful, and he says, no, I'll tell you what's going on. They're pulling a trick on us. Let's not fall for it. And his servants talk him into sending someone out because they're going to die anyway. So the king is suspicious when he's told what God had done. The lepers celebrated God's provision and then told others. It took them a little time, but they did tell others. And the others could come enjoy it as well. The official who had scoffed at God's ability saw God's provision, but he didn't benefit because of unbelief. You know, God provided abundant food at an affordable price, and it happened exactly when God said it would, even though it looked completely impossible. From a human perspective, it was totally impossible, but God did it. The message to Israel and to us is, God always keeps His word. God is faithful. Would you stand, please? Lord, I stand here in awe of You. You always do what You say You will do. You provide more than is needed. You are so faithful and good to us. Lord, may we this week be faithful servants of yours. Help us to be alert and have hearts that seek you. Lord, I thank you for each person here. I ask that you would bless us this week. Sensitivity to you and awareness that you're walking with us. May we walk in step with you and point others to you. Lord, I thank you, too, for the food that's prepared for us downstairs. I ask that you would bless it to our bodies. Would you give us strength from it? And we thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, amen.